Um, Today, I'll be reading from Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. It says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This is the gospel of Christ. And this morning we're starting our new sermon series called Kingdom on the Mountain. And we're basing it off from Jesus' most popular teaching in the Bible, per se, and that's the Sermon on the Mount. And when we come to the Sermon on the the Mount, we've had many different ideas about it. Um, Specifically for us, um, Lindsay came to me in December and told me this idea that she wanted to do this. The first thing I thought was, oh, Jesus, help us, because we're going to have to try to explain the best sermon ever given. Like, that's just a daunting task. We're going to have to be on it every week. We're going to have to plan, plan this thing out. But, but, but in the midst of that, I started praying and then praying for it with our small groups. I started thinking, well, Lord, I think you want us to start a sermon series whenever we start our small groups and have all of our small groups on the same thing. And then Lindsay sent me over the scripture verses for February the 2nd today. And it just so happened to have Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12 the start of the Sermon on the Mount, and we start small groups this week, and I was like, well, it's just meant to be. And when Jesus does something like this, and when he puts this together, like, here's the thing, Lindsay had a feeling, I had a feeling about what we should do, and Jesus is like, I got you guys, here you go. And the one thing about that, and that we have to understand, just because we mostly say, well, that's cool, that's awesome that Jesus did something like that. But what that means is God's wanting to release something into the life of the church that he wants to change. That there's a new season that he's breathing upon us. There's something for you and I that Jesus wants to give us. And during our sermon times and during our small group time. And during those seasons, you lean into what God's doing. Because here's the deal. The mindset you bring to a new move of God is what you see and get out of that. If I'm coming and I'm looking and I'm expecting the Lord to show up because the Lord has put this thing together, I'm going to find something in that. If I come just thinking it's a different week, I'm going to come and listen to uh, good or bad preaching um, or listen to good music, then you're going to miss what God is wanting to release in the life of our church. And if you're new this morning, it's a great morning to be here. Um, Not because I'm preaching and Lindsay's not here, but... Because you're journeying, journeying with us on this road that we feel like God is leading us down. 
And God has been speaking a lot to me in personal conversations with people around the church when, whenever I'm meeting and get to know people. And Jesus has been telling me to tell people that his kingdom is like a mustard seed. Right? If I threw out a mustard seed right now before you guys got here and I said, okay, everybody, let's get on our knees and look for this. We're going to need a magnifying glass. We're going to have to comb the rug because that thing is small. It is extremely small. And what I believe God has done is he's planted mustard seeds around here. And during this time, he wants to put water to that. He wants to see growth. He wants to see his kingdom grow amongst us. And so today, we're going to pray. We're going to lean into what God wants to do and um, ask for his presence to come. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, you have been good to us, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace, Father. Jesus, we thank you that you rewrite our stories, that you renew our lives, that you renew our souls. That, Father, that you are water to us, that you help us, and we thank you. And God, we invite your presence here right now. So Holy Spirit, come. We give you privilege. We give you right to move amongst us. Move in our hearts. Move on our lives. Right now, Holy Spirit, come to us and make us aware of your presence. Because God's kingdom is here amongst us. So Holy Spirit, come. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Um, So... We're starting out today on the Beatitudes, and this Sermon on the Mount thing um, isn't just loved and regarded by us as Christians. We just don't consider it some of the greatest teaching um, in the Bible. Um, how many of you know who Muhammad Gandhi is, right, an Hindu? Um, Muhammad Gandhi himself, on a trip to London, had a pastor he really liked to give him a Bible. He started reading that Bible, and he came to the Sermon on the Mount, and Muhammad Gandhi said about the Sermon on the Mount is that it gave peace and understanding to my soul, that, that, that it gave me a rest I haven't known before. And that Sermon on the Mount went on to affect Gandhi's nonviolent protest and ethics that he went about in his life. Um, even though he never converted to Christianity, even though he never believed Jesus was the Son of God, he did regard Jesus as the greatest teacher in humanity and what it was like to actually be human. That's the regard a non-Christian has for this sermon. Um, how many of you know who Richard Dawkins is? Famous atheist. Um, and in fact, has really nothing good to say about any type of Christians or anything about Jesus. He said this. He says, Jesus, if he existed, was certainly one of the great ethical innovators of history. The Sermon on the Mount is way ahead of its time. His turn the other cheek anticipated Gandhi and Martin Luther King by 2,000 years. And that's something who hates religion, staunchly against it. But he realizes the Sermon on the Mount is something different entirely. And so for us, it's how do we go about understanding this sermon, which is the greatest sermon ever given. Um, A philosopher named Dallas Willard and Christian author gave us this great insight, and we're going to have to quote back up here. He says this about understanding the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, it will help us to know what to do and what not to do with the Beatitudes if we can discover what Jesus himself was doing with them. That should be the key to understanding them. For after all, they are his Beatitudes, not ours to make them what we will. 
And since great teachers and leaders always have a coherent message that they develop in an orderly way, we should assume that his teaching in the Beatitudes is a clarification or development of his primary theme in this talk, in his talk in life, which is the availability of the kingdom of God. If you read anything about the New Testament, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like this. A kingdom of God is like an owner who gave one ten talents, five talents, one talent. He is always talking about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4.17, the first words that we have recorded um, from Jesus whenever he started his ministry was, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near. So Jesus in verse 17 tells us to repent, which is basically change the way you think about how the world is supposed to be. Change the way how you're living according to the way my kingdom says the world should be. That's what he's saying. The kingdom is here. Turn to it. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 25, before Matthew 5, we get Jesus saying, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, from east of the Jordan River. And what we see Jesus here, he's pronouncing the good news of the kingdom. And then he's demonstrating what his kingdom is like. So Jesus is saying, hey, my kingdom is near. So then what does he do? Then what does he do? He heals every kind of sickness and disease. Those that are demon-possessed, the epileptic the paralyzed. He healed them all. And Jesus later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, will give us instruction and the best definition in the Bible we have of the kingdom of God. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be holy. Now listen to this, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying, whenever we pray for God's kingdom to come, we ask it to come, that that is God's will would come to here, earth, right now, as it is in heaven. And the best way to understand that is, are there any sick people in heaven? No, all are healed. So when we ask the kingdom of God to come, when we ask heaven to come, when we ask God to have his will on earth, when we're praying over the sick, we see the sick healed. Are there any demon possessions in heaven or any demonic influence? No, there's not. So when we pray over someone, we see people delivered. Is there anyone that doesn't know Jesus in heaven? No, everyone that's in heaven has known and made a relationship with Jesus. So when someone comes to know Jesus here on earth, that is the kingdom coming amongst us. That someone has been opened up to the reality of God. And so what we mean by the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God here on earth. Right now, it's, and heaven is the full reality of God's will and God's kingdom. The best example I can give in regards to the kingdom and how we talk about this already and not yet thing is that Jesus says there's a kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of God. And here on earth, those two are opposed to one another. And so on this earth right now, we have two rule and reigns going on that's trying to take ground. 
right? And so sometimes whenever we pray for people, we don't see anything happen. The other times, we do see things happen. The best way to explain that that I can have is when I worked here in, Mar- in Maryville, I wasn't a professional Christian at that time. Um, I had this guy at work. He came in one morning, and this guy, he works at a bar in town. He works late at night. Then he goes home, sleeps for an hour. So he gets off at 5, gets home by 5.15, sleeps for an hour, wakes up, gets his kids ready for bed, and then comes to work. And on his way home the night before, he had fell asleep at the wheel, and he ran into a tree, and he jacked up his leg. He came in on crutches one day, and he's walking through the office, and I'm looking, and I'm like, man, what happened? He goes, well, I fell asleep at the wheel, and um, I tore my ACL. I had to go to a surgeon, had to go to people to get that specific confirmation on that, but he goes, I can't walk on it. And, And I go, okay. And in my mind, I believe God's kingdom. I believe when we pray for people that they're healed. And let me say this. I was totally afraid to turn around and say, can I pray for you? Like that's something I should do. I should have boldness, right? I'm a pastor for God's sakes. I should be able to do that. Um, But totally not. I flaked out. And I was at my seat, and I go, Jesus, I believe in your kingdom. Would you please heal his leg? Well, anyways, we go through uh, work, and we come into work the next day. He shows up about one, um, and I don't notice him walking in. And he walks in, and he sits down at his desk. And at that time, guys, I'm oblivious to anything. I'm new in that department. I'm faking it till I make it in there. I have no clue what I'm doing. My boss sits right there, he's, and she's looking. She's looking right at me, and so, I, and so I hear him sit down at his desk. He turns around, and he goes, hey, did you pray for me? And I'm on the phone, and I'm like, hang up. And I turn around, I go, yes, how are you? He goes, thank you, like, my knee is totally better. He had this inclination that the Christian around him thought enough to pray for him. And he thanked me. And this was a guy who wouldn't have been able to provide for his kids if he wasn't able to go to work. So the kingdom came in that moment. God's kingdom, heaven, God's will came to earth and healed him. The other uh, story I have is a month later, I'm at the Maryville Vineyard. I walk in the back. Um, This is when Knoxville was going on. I dropped up offering. I walk in the service. I'm standing back there listening to Aaron. And it's prayer time. And this lady comes back in the back, and she's coming to me. I'm just trying to enjoy a sermon, uh, trying to worship a tad bit and not have to have responsibilities. This woman walks up to me, and she says, hey, um, walked up to me. She crippled up to me, and she goes, hey, I tore my ACL, And I don't have a way to provide for my kids. I just got divorced. I have no one else that can provide. Can you pray for me? And I'm thinking at that moment, not cocky at all, I promise. I don't think I got this. I'm thinking, Jesus, we've done this before. (laughs) Like, this is a piece of cake, right? Um, um, This isn't anything hard for us anymore, Jesus, because we've partnered on this before. And I lay my hands on her and... (laughs) <laughs> and I pray for her, and I look at her, are things better? She goes, no. And I was like, let's try again. Like, Jesus, I'm praying for her. And she goes, is everything? And I look at her, I go, is anything better? She goes, uh, no. And at this time, she's done with me. And I go, let me try one more time. So I lay my hands on her, and I pray the best prayer I have 
with the most faith I thought I have. Surely this is more faith than what I did over there in the office. I didn't even turn around to talk to the guy. And I go, Jesus, heal this leg. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Ligaments, be made new. And I go, are you better? She goes, no. She didn't get healed. And there was no confirmation of her later getting healed. And so that's the mystery intention of the kingdom of God here on earth. Is sometimes we see the poor provided for. At other times, we don't see them provided for. At other, and sometimes we're able to help. We see people come to know God. And other times, people want to have nothing to do with Jesus. That's the kingdom of God on earth. There's two kingdoms. They're opposed to one another. There's a mystery and there's a tension in there. But besides it all, I've come to the fact God is good no matter what. Even in my own sickness that I had for a year and a half and I had no clue what was going on. I still believe God was good. And either I'd come fully into his kingdom now or I'll be even more blessed entering into the kingdom of heaven. The actually reality of heaven with him. So when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, when we look at the teachings of Jesus, when we look at the Beatitudes, we have to view it through heaven's eyes. We have to view it through the kingdom of God and what Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. But before we move on to those, uh, in chapter 4, who were the people Jesus went to? The sick, the paralytic. Those people were despised and not considered blessed by God in their day. They were the outcasts of society. They, didn't, they weren't considered by any of the religious at that time or Jewish teachers that if you were sick or had these conditions, you did not have the favor of God. And that's who Jesus went to. He went to those who were considered unblessed and cut off from the blessing of God. And we look at every example in the Bible about that. We look at the woman who's caught in adultery. Um, the Jewish teachers leave. Jesus says, Daughter, who condemns you? No one condemns me. And Jesus says, neither do I. Now go. Be careful. Don't sin anymore. They're trying to kill you. We see the woman at the well who had had five husbands. And not only that, she was a Samaritan. And to a Jew, the only good type of Samaritan was one that was dead. They hated each other. And Jesus went and met this one woman, went out of his way to meet this one woman at the well to restore dignity and to restore her life. Those were the people Jesus went to. And in Matthew 4, that's who Jesus went to. The people Jesus hung out with and invited into relationship with him are not necessarily the attractive ones that we, the world, would want to make our friends. And that's key to understanding what the Beatitudes are actually talking about. That it does not matter what you are, who you are, what you've got for you, what you have got against you. None of that matters to Jesus. That's the lesson of his Beatitudes. That's what the Beatitudes are about. And you can only understand the gospel of the kingdom and the Beatitudes if there's no limit to who you can go to, look at, and say, blessed. That's the teaching that Jesus is getting at. If you have trouble going to people who are considered unblessable and pronouncing their blessing in the kingdom, then you haven't gotten the message of the kingdom yet. Because the message of the kingdom is precisely that all those human beings regarded as unblessable are not unblessable if they enter the kingdom of God. Now, if they don't enter the kingdom of God, that's another story. 
and the best way to explain the Beatitudes that I can give you guys, and it goes against a lot of teaching that we've been taught about it, they're not prescriptive. And prescriptive is what? Um, son, um, if you be good, if you eat your dinner, if you eat your vegetables, afterwards you can have the cookie, right? Um, if you don't do that, you can't have the cookie. That's what prescriptive means. Descriptive means is serving or seeking to describe something. In fact, there are many people who never enter the kingdom of God that have these attributes that we're talking about in the Beatitudes because they don't turn to Jesus. So we have to change the way we're thinking. I came from the line of, I entered church at like 19 or 20 years old under dispensationalism, which means the book of Matthew is for the Jews. It's not really for us, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is for us. The epistles of James and John and Peter are not for us. That's for the Jews during the tribulation time. But, but, but the letters of Paul is for us right now. Right? There's many different ways to understand the Beatitudes, and it's hard for us to come to that. Even the translators themselves have trouble with them. If you look at different translations, they're using different words that sometimes don't mean the same thing because they really don't know what to do with them sometimes, and they're hard to understand. So let's have a crack at it, shall we? In verse 3, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. If we're using this as prescriptive, we're going to say, I need to work on myself. I need to become really poor in spirit. I need to realize how sinful I am, and then, and then I can enter the kingdom of God. That's prescriptive. Descriptive is, is simply this. Um, have you tried out religion and failed? Are you a, a religious zero by all terms? Are you, are you deconstructing your faith right now completely? Um, if we think of this as prescriptive, uh, Luke gives us insight into this one specifically, and Luke gets more literal in his beatitude on this one. Luke says, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. So does that mean I need to give away all my money and become poor and live on the streets to receive God's blessing? So it's not prescriptive, right? Because if you think you have to become poor and not have a lot of money to get God's blessing, that's simply not true. In Knoxville, we had many people come off from the street who were homeless that wanted to have nothing to do with God. But we had people in our church who had money who wanted everything to do with the kingdom of God. So the Beatitudes are not prescriptive at all. What the Beatitudes are is that they're the grand invitation of the kingdom of God. Do you fit this description? Then the kingdom of God is for you. So verse 4, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Are you a mourner? A mourner agrees something that they've lost. Have you lost a loved one? Um, mourners, they long for never having to say goodbye again. The brokenness and separation of the world from the creator has created a life that is emptied of love again and again have you lost, lost a son, a daughter, a mother, or a father? Are you mourning because you haven't yet found a wife or a husband? Jesus says for mourners, when they enter the kingdom of God, they can find his comfort. He will sit with them, listen, love, and restore them. So it's not prescriptive. You need to go mourn and fast and bring out the sackcloth and asses in the Old Testament and go throw yourself in a cave. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, are, 
are you mourning right now? We're coming to the kingdom. I can do something about that. I can help you. In verse 5, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. This one is extremely tricky. If you look at different translations, everyone has a different guess about what that verse is. In the NLT, it's the word humble. In other versions, it's the word meek. And I really love what Dallas Willard has to say about this and about the people that are humble or about the people that are meek. He says, they are the shy ones, the intimidated, the mild and unassertive. They step off the sidewalk to let others pass by as if it were only right. And if something goes wrong around them, they automatically feel like some, this thing that's wrong has to do with them. When others step forward and speak up, they shrink back. That's what Jesus is getting to there. That's the heart of that, the attitude. Do you shrink back? Are you afraid to stand up for something? Jesus says, hey, in my kingdom, if you come to my kingdom, you're going to inherit the whole earth. I will give you that. In verse 6, he says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. These are those who have had something done to them that wasn't right. The abused, the forgotten, the unloved, who cry out for it to be made right. There are those who have fallen to that same besetting sin that they have struggled with for years and think that they are cut off from God and he is rolling his eyes because of how weak they are. Or those who look at the world and are wary of how the human race keeps on inflicting damage upon one another. These are those style of people. And what the kingdom of God says is, I have the ability for these people to transfume your abuses, loss, sin, pain, make our suffering seem insignificant in the light of God's glory and grace. That's the invitation. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In the kingdom of God, mercy is one of the major themes of who God is. Yet mercy is a major weakness in the eyes of the world. This isn't a command to be merciful so that we will receive mercy, but it's a promise for those who love mercy, have mercy, and have mercy waiting for them. The merciful aren't looking to win and be proven right. They are not looking for others to pay for their failures. They are most likely the ones the world looks at being weak and are getting taken advantage of. And Jesus says, when you come to my kingdom... You'll find mercy and I'll meet all your needs. You won't have to shrink back. You can be bold. God says in verse 8, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. I love how the Message Bible uh, says this. It says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. So what do we do with this one? Because this one sounds like, we need to be pure in heart to see God. Um, blessed are those perfectionists who can never be satisfied with any of their work. Those who get angry because you don't do the things the way in which they consider the right way to do things. The religionists who always have something to say about your, theolo your theology, how you pray and live. For when they come into the kingdom of God and they truly see God, they will find that in what they've been longing for. Those are those people. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. If you're a peacemaker in here, have any of you ever tried to be a peacemaker before? You've came into a situation and there's two sides, and at the end of it, they come together, not because of how good you are at peacemaking, but because at that point, they just hate you. 
Have you guys ever been a part of that? I have. Believe me, pastors do that all the time. Whenever I'm headed into a situation like that, I'm always like, this could go really good for us. Or this could go really bad. They may not like us at the end, but hopefully we can fix this situation. And, that, and that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are those peacemakers who can never do anything right. Um, for you bear my identity and who I am. Because Jesus brought to bring peace. He had religion on one side and the world on the other mad at him. These are what the Beatitudes are. In verse 10 and 11, they're kind of the same. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Those, and, and these are those who, despite the pressure to lie, and go along with the crowd and be silent, they end up getting harassed or even killed for doing the right thing, no matter how much it costs them. For when you enter the kingdom, your reputation is high in the eyes of God, and you are true in your love relationship to him in those moments. And we could make our own, right, unblessedness. Um, um, the church doesn't like to go into this message because it's really hard for us to fathom and find grace. I could say, blessed are those who murder, blessed are the pornographers, blessed are those Republicans, blessed are those Democrats, those people who don't like Star Wars. You're blessed, right? The people that go slow in the fast lane, you're blessed. Those that want to build a wall, you're blessed. Those that don't want to build a wall, you're blessed. Your ex-husband or wife, blessed. Why? Not because you did anything to earn it, right? You did nothing to earn it, but the invitation of the kingdom of God is open for you to come in. That's, the beat, that's what Jesus is getting at in these beatitudes. And he's about to go in, yes, he's about to go in some of the best ethical teaching we've ever known. He's going to teach us to seek him. He's going to teach us to find him over the next few weeks. But, 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 but this is what Jesus is saying right now. And this is what he's inviting us into. So the band can go ahead and come on up. This is what Jesus has for, for you today. Do you feel unblessable by God? Are you sitting in this room right now and you feel like there's this little area of your life where you feel like God can't bless you? Or you don't feel like you're acceptable or the world hasn't accepted you? Jesus says, be happy, be blessed, because the grand invitation to the kingdom is for you. And what Jesus wants you to do today is enter the kingdom. You don't have to have everything figured out, right? You don't really even know how to follow Jesus or know what to think about Jesus. He just says, follow me, come into my kingdom. Find out about me with me. I know me best. Come and ask of me. Come and learn of me. If you feel unblessable, God's giving you an invitation in today. Second, and this one's harder, are we as a church blessing those that the world, the church, and even ourselves consider unblessable? Even more, are we cultivating friendships and relationships with people that fit those descriptions? Are we making time for those people? 
that the world considers unblessed. Can I say, I've been here in Springbrook and Alcoa for a while, and it looks like there's some community, some people just don't want to drive down. That's where we should go. And we should say, blessed are you. So do you feel unblessable? Are we making friends with those who the world considers unblessed? That's the invitation. And church, let me say this, the kingdom of darkness is not worried about a church that shows up on Sunday, hears a good sermon, does church really well. Uh, The kingdom of darkness does not sake at that. But what the kingdom of darkness does sake at is a church that takes the invitation of God to enter his kingdom, that aligns their lives with the will of heaven, and then go about taking territory for the kingdom out in their community. And in our community, I want the kingdom of darkness to sake. And this is the grand invitation Jesus is inviting us as a church into. So during this time, what we have is vertical time. It's time for us to be quiet, to listen to what God has to say to us. And let me say this, the kingdom of God is here. God is near, God is here right now. It's like a mustard seed. If you tune into him, you may find him. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Come and move. Father, we are the unblessables. Father, thank you for allowing us to be blessed. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for coming to us, Lord, and showing us what God is really like. That he's not that distant, far and far away God, but he's present and near with love and grace. So Father, speak to us. Allow us to see us, see ourselves as the blessed ones. Help us to make that step to enter your kingdom today. And Father, so us, those around us who the world considers unblessed and give us the boldness and courage to reach out to them. So Holy Spirit, come. We want your presence. In your name I pray.